This is the podcast for Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. I want you to take a journey with me down the yellow brick road. We're in this collection called If I Only Had a dot, dot, dot. And we're going to look at the different parts of our life that we think we need to have better in order for God to use us. But the reality is he can use you right where you are. Let's jump into the message. Let me jump into the message today, and I'm excited to hear what God has for us. I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. I've been getting messages from some of you people that are out of town, but still tuning in. Some of you are homebound or unable to physically be here, but you've joined us, and I'm excited. You are a part of this community as well. And for those in the house in Hendersonville, Tennessee, we're going to be continuing this message called If I Only Had A. And if you were out in the lobby at all, you probably already noticed what this week's theme is. So let me backtrack for just a moment. Week one, it was if I only had a heart. Week two was if I only had a brain. This week is if I only had a team of flying monkeys. And guess what? Right here in the house, we have our own flying monkey. Make some noise for our flying monkey. Come on. Make sure you stand right here so we can get a great social media picture. I'm going to be as far away from it as possible. Now, I, <laughs> this is, you're really into the, keep going. No, please. Now, I do have some bad news. Ladies, he is not single. He is taken. I know, he is engaged, and the lucky lady is Abby Joe right there, so congratulations. <laughs> it's not too late, but it's getting close. So stay here for just a moment. He will be in Kid City taking pictures with your kids and you if you'd like one. I don't know why, but maybe scare the rodents away up in the attic. So... If I only had a team of flying monkeys. Now, if you've ever seen the movie, which we will not name due to copyright restrictions, the witch has her own team of flying monkeys, and she sends these monkeys to do her bidding. And so she just tells them, go do this, go do that, and then she sits back, and they do what she needs them to do, what she needs them to do. And so I was thinking to myself, Jacob, this week, what would I do if I had a team of flying monkeys? Like, what could I do? There was a, a lame movie, Don't Watch it back in the early 2000s called Multiplicity with Michael Keaton, and he actually like made copies of himself so that he could get more done. And so that's kind of what I would do if I had monkeys. I would send you and your team out to do the different things that I didn't want to do. So you would definitely be doing yard work at my house. Uh, <laughs> my wife does it anyway, make no mistake. But... I'd be having you do the yard work in my house. I'd probably have you pick my kids up in the bus line or the car line at school because don't take pictures of the two of us together. I'm standing over here. <laughs> I deserve that. I know. I deserve that. I would probably have you go pick my kids up at school. I would probably have you answer monotonous emails. Definitely when those people call asking if you want to extend your insurance on your car, I would just forward that to you. What would I do if I had a team of flying monkeys? What would you do? And so I have good news for you. By the end of our time today, I'm going to tell you how to get your own team of flying monkeys, and it won't cost you a dime. But in the meantime, it's, it's, it's time for me to get the attention on the stage. So I need you to leave, fly back. See if you could jump off the stage. Don't tear an ACL. <laughs> Give it up for Jacob. What a good sport. 
Are you just going to sit in service? Where? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. If it's your first time at this church, I'm so sorry. Because it's like this a lot. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how to have your own team of flying monkeys. And what I want to talk about today is the power of words. The power of words. But I'm going to let the word of God, see what I did there? That's an elite level preacher segue. The word of God set the table for what we're talking about today. First is King Solomon, Proverbs 18, 20 through 21. From the fruit of, the, of his mouth, a man's belly is filled with the harvest from his lips. He is satisfied. Life and death, underline those two words, life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Then I want you to hear what's written in Psalms, Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. Now, this is a lot more powerful than what it appears on the surface, and, and here's why. It's because God put the planets into existence. He created the universe, and he could have just made it happen, but he chose to speak them into existence. Thus, setting the precedent of the power of words. See, according to, to Proverbs, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And I want to tell you that through words of encouragement or through words of discouragement, your team of flying monkeys can go out and continue doing damage or they can do repair for long after you send them out. And that's what we're going to examine today. Now, I don't know if you know me. If you don't get to know me, my mom says I'm awesome. I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I am a history guy. All right, I was a history teacher in public school for 10 years before I came to ministry. <laughs> Middle school, too. Can you imagine? My gosh. For 10 years. And so what happened is during this time, I found this love of history. And I was reading this week about this war that happened in the 1900s. I had never heard of it before. They called it the Second Boer War. Now, some of you are like, yeah, it's called Boer because history is boring. But I think you're going to find this interesting. Boer is spelled B-O-E-R. It's the second one. Apparently, there was a first one. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I went to like a major sources like Wikipedia, and I still couldn't find <laughs> What? And I still couldn't find it. But I found the Second Boer War. And, and, and what it's known for is... Interesting. So this was around the 1900s, started slightly before the year 1900, but it went on for a little bit. And what happened is what normally happens with war is that people are fighting over a particular group of, of land, like a, a piece of land that they want. And it's even uh, happens faster and it's exacerbated if there's something that's worthwhile on that land. And so on this land in South Africa, they discovered not only gold, but diamonds, Okay, and all the ladies say amen to that. And so the British decided they wanted to come take over this area, naturally. But then there was these two little free, small little states in South Africa, their own little republics, that decided they were going to team together to fight for their land so that the redcoats don't come and try to take over the land. And, and here's what happened, is they joined together. It was the, one was called the Orange Free State, which is kind of a cool name, especially if you're in Knox, the Knoxville area. The other one, I wrote it down, I knew I was going to forget, South African Republic. How did I forget that? But I remember Orange Free State. So they start fighting over this land, and those two, those two, those two, um, 
republics join together against the British, and inevitably what happens is the British win because it was the greatest army in the world till the Revolutionary War, go America. But besides that, they're fighting. And, and what is really interesting is, is that it ended up going to guerrilla warfare, which simply means that like they dug trenches and it was trench warfare and it became just, it's a brutal way to fight a war. And after the two republics lost, the ones who survived, because the British actually were pretty good about allowing people to live if you just submitted and said, all hail the queen, and then you, you, you went back. And so they found this guy and they put him on trial. One of their own soldiers. And guess what? He was found guilty of something that's very unusual. They found him guilty of discouragement, punishable by death. And here's what happened. So this man started, he was walking through all of the trenches and he would remind his own soldiers on his own team how unlikely the odds were that they would win. And he would just tell them, oh man, the other army, like they are so big, they are so desperate, like for this area, we are not going to win. I know we have this strategy, but it's probably not going to work. And he spent all of his time going up and down these trenches, telling people that what they were trying wasn't going to work and that they were all doomed to die, that they would never see their family again. Again, and it made a difference. It made an emotional difference so much that then what happened is, is those guys started repeating what he said to the other soldiers and it took the morale down so low that after the war, they said the blame solely lied on what he did and the words he said and the impact that he had. Now, by now, Based upon how old you guys are in this room or young or the simple fact that you're breathing shows me that you probably at some point in time in your life have faced discouragement. You faced somebody who didn't guard their tongue and they chose to speak death instead of life. We all carry that at some point in time. I mean, I can remember back when I was in third grade, a kid making fun of me because my shorts were too short. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, I still remember that. I don't remember his name, but I remember the power of his words. And so what I want to do today, though, is I want us to pivot and instead of us focusing on the power of discouraging words, because I think we all know that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Fake news, man. Fake news. That's not true. Words hurt. That Trump joke went, I mean, just too soon, I guess. Too soon. Or the impersonation was that bad. I don't know. It's, it's a lose-lose for me. I still got about 20 minutes, so just... Put on a hard hat. Let's go to work. What I want to do, though, is I want to focus again and pivot on the power of encouragement. And I want us to really focus on why that's important, how you can be involved in that, and very practical ways to change people's lives around you. See, encouragement can be like having a team of flying monkeys. Because you say one word, encouraging somebody... You probably forget about it, and it fuels them for a long time. And those monkeys are still doing the work even after you forget about it, even after you go on, because encouragement works. You have the power in your mouth to get somebody through a dark time. 
to have someone give them the strength to fight through anxiety, to be able to speak life into someone that is on the doorstep of quitting whatever they're working on. Believe it or not, whoever you are, you have that power. See, we focus on the power of life and death is in the tongue, and we get that, but we really focus on death a lot. But I think it's about time that the church focuses on encouragement, because if you even read the Bible for a little bit, you're going to see over and over and over again this theme of encouragement, of being there for one another, of building each other up, and that's what I want to focus on today. I want us to go all the way back to the Old Testament, because I love the Old Testament, and I want to tell you about the story of Hezekiah. So we're going to be in uh, Second. Chronicles 32. If you don't know where that is or you didn't bring a Bible, don't worry about it. We'll have it up on the screen. But you may want to write it down or take a picture of it because I would love if you went back and looked at it a little more this week. Second Chronicles 32, and we're going to be talking about a guy named King Hezekiah. Now, what's interesting about the book of First Chronicles and Second Chronicles and really 1 Kings and 2 Kings because they kind of overlap on the timeline is so many cool things happen that some stuff like this completely gets missed. And, and also, if we're honest, and don't worry, I'm guilty of this too, they have some like really difficult to pronounce names. And so you just kind of skip over it and you like skip the name and you keep reading. And that's totally natural. But I think if we skip their names, instead of just fighting through it or doing what I do, pretend you know how to say it, 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 it then we kind of lose its power and you kind of forget because there's power in a name. But we're talking about King Hezekiah, 13th king of Judah. And right now, he is there, there, Judah is in the middle of what's called siege warfare, which isn't a whole lot different than Russia's doing with Ukraine right now. But this was really popular in the Old Testament. It was a great way that you could take over a city with a, without a whole lot of bloodshed, and it really didn't cost you a lot of money. So what you did is you surrounded the city, you cut off the food supply and the water supply, and you just wait. And you just wait. And you just wait. And what happens is, is that they start getting desperate for water. They start getting desperate for food. And then one of two things would happen. You see, oftentimes, someone in the city will actually open the gate and let the enemy in because they're ready just to have it over with. Or sometimes you'll see some things in the Old Testament, terrible things like cannibalism. There's a story where two women are arguing over which one of their babies they're going to eat because they're starving. And so King Hezekiah is facing this. And the Assyrian king has as siege warfare, the Assyrian Empire. They were known for making metal weapons, which were so much easier to kill people with, right? So that's what they're, they're known for. And so the Assyrians have them surrounded. And at the, most of the time, I think your default at this point would be negative. Because you're like, man, we're surrounded by an army that's bigger, stronger, richer, badder, and we're scared. Great time to either be discouraging or be silent. Oh, but church, let this lesson ring true in this place today. Oh, we are at war. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle, battle is against the enemy, Satan. And I don't know if you've watched this world lately, but we're in a war. Oh, it's, it's, it's no longer time for us to be passive or silent, and it's certainly not a time for friendly fire amongst believers. Unity is important. Ooh, it's quiet in here. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about a church down the street. 
Second Chronicles 32, verse 6. I want you to hear what Hezekiah did. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before, before him in the square at the city gate. So right in the front, they could probably know the enemies right on the other side. And listen to what he did. And encouraged them with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for there, there is a great power with us than with them. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, really. Verse 8, with him is only the army of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Oh my goodness, let those words echo in your life today, in your situation today. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Can I be honest with you for a moment? I write my sermons normally three, four, five weeks out at a time because I got to study and I'm not that smart, so I've got to put in some extra time. And, and so I had this sermon written a couple weeks ago and, and God showed me something seven days ago for the sermon. And I'm just going to be real honest with you for a moment. Some of you know this. I left last Sunday very discouraged. We, we had some sound issues. We had some track issues. I felt like my sermon fell flat, came across like this kind of grumpy old man, get off my yard instead of like this uplifting. And I just thought, well, probably never see any of those people again. <laughs> We're going back to center point a year and a half ago where it was me, you, and the Holy Ghost, and that's about it. And it, it is just complete failure. And, and I went home and we were supposed, we, we did go over to someone's house for dinner that night. Shout out to Mannions. If they ever invite you over to their house for dinner, go, because the cooking is fantastic. But we were supposed to go to their house for dinner and I just kind of wanted to go home. And I went home and I took a nap. Put my phone on silent, set it down and just laid down. And and this isn't like a poor me, but I want to show you the power of encouragement because most of you probably went home thinking, he doesn't need encouragement, right? Look at him. Look at that hair. Man, look at that head of hair. He doesn't, he feels great. But when I woke up two hours later, my phone and my Facebook messenger and even my email was flooded with encouragement from some of you in here. Some random lady that actually works at a church down the street says she tunes into this church as soon as she gets home every Sunday and talked about how God spoke to her through that message. Can I tell you something? Two people on Monday and Tuesday within 48 hours of when I went home feeling completely worthless that were here physically gave their life to the Lord. Some of you in here sent me encouragement. Some people sent me random emails like the lady down the street talking about that. Some people sent me Facebook messages. And it wasn't mostly from people like that were my family. Like my grandma always sends me a message. But it was some of you that, that we don't know each other that well. And, and, and maybe the Holy Spirit prompted you to send me encouragement. And can I tell you that last week was a fantastic week because I went to, to, to bed Sunday night with all the confidence in the world of what God can do, even when I think that it wasn't that great. And God's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're focusing on your talent, 
Watch what I can do with anointing. But here's the thing. Oh, yeah. Here's the thing, though. Some of you just sent me a little text message or just, just sent me a, 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 an email, and it didn't probably mean a whole lot to you, and you spent 30 seconds doing it. But here I am, seven days later, still fueled by the encouragement that you gave me. Oh, church, don't underestimate the power that you have to encourage somebody. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what battle they're fighting right now. You don't know if this is their first time ever in here, or they may never come back, or their marriage be on the, may be on the verge of destruction, or they may be battling an eating disorder, or they may be struggling with pornography, or they may be a man that's just doubting, like, do I really have this in me to become a man of God, or am I just a phony? And your encouragement can push them through. Not only that, but your encouragement could change generations of their family. For instance, the two gentlemen that gave their life to the Lord on Monday and Tuesday. What's that look like for their kids, their grandkids, and the generations that are now changed because of what God can do? Oh, church, let's be a church of encouragement. And if you've got the angel on one side and the devil on the other, and you're like, should I do this? Should I not? The answer is no. <laughs> Don't. It's like when people send me messages and say, hey, I'm thinking about posting this. Is this appropriate? And I'm like, the fact you're even asking me means no. <laughs> Don't post this. So Hezekiah goes in, encourages his troops, and scripture says they all gained confidence. But notice this. Here's the secret. This is the Rosetta Stone to unlock this story. I get excited in case you, you're wondering. Somebody told me one time I'm like Tigger because I'm like always bouncing around. <laughs> but anyways, is this, is he didn't give them encouragement based on their own strength. Do you see that? He didn't say in there, hey, we're going to win this war because you're super buff, man. We're going to win this war because, dude, you know how to swing a sword and the javelin and a spear. And that's why we're going to win. You look like John Cena when you look in the mirror. Though you probably think you look like Buddha, but you really look like Schwarzenegger, early 80s Schwarzenegger. Heck, I'll take Schwarzenegger right now. Yeah, I know. He's like 70. But what did he do that gave them confidence? He reminded them that the Lord was with them and that he who is with us is greater than anything that can go against us. That's what you encourage them. So, Corlette, when you were facing a health crisis a couple weeks ago and the deacons put oil on your head and we prayed for you, we didn't pray that Corlette would be strong enough to pull through the surgery. We didn't. What did we pray for? We said that God is with you and that you are a child of God and that he has called you by name, that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He will not forsake you and no weapon formed against you shall prosper because you are a son of the most high king. And what happened? He came through for you. Amen. And here you are healed. Second Chronicles, we're going to continue. We're going to be in now verse 20 because I'm going to tell you what happens at the end. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. There's the algorithm. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. Did you hear that? Those same angels are here today. They're ministering spirits sent out to protect the saints. So what do you have at your call? So the Assyrian king withdrew to his own land in disgrace. And when he went into the temple of his God, 
some of his sons, his own flesh and blood, cut him down with the sword. That's pretty epic. Verse 22, so the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the land of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others. I love this part right here. He took care of them on every side. The battle that's in front of you, the battle that's behind you, you don't even know about, the Lord took care of. The one that's right around the corner that you don't know that you're about to face, God took care of it. So let me give you some really practical things of how we can be encouragers. See, I, 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 I narrowed this down to four characteristics of an encourager, and we'll have them up on the screen, I think. An encourager is optimistic. An encourager is enthusiastic. An encourager is other-focused rather than self-focused. And number four is huge in today's day and age in which we are so busy. An encourager is intentional. You're not going to send somebody encouragement by accident. You're not going to fall asleep. And then as you're sleeping, your hand grabs your phone and you text something encouraging to somebody. You were great today. I believe in you. you. It's not going to happen. You have to be intentional. You have to have eyes to see it. You have to look for it. And you have to say, you know what? Rather than being self-focused right now, I'm going to be other-focused and I'm going to see what my flying monkeys can do in their life. And it can go on and on and on. Oh, a team of flying monkeys can send encouragement long after you forgot. Let's, let's pull the audience for a second. If somebody in your life along the way, whether it was yesterday or whether it was 10 years ago, said something very encouraging to you personally that you still remember, raise your hand. Some of you don't have your hand raised, so let me just give you some encouragement right now. You are here. You are breathing. God has a purpose for you. I think you're awesome. Now raise your hand if somebody has said something encouraging to you. And, uh, <laughs> all right, now, now, some of those were probably a long time ago. Probably a long time ago. But you got to be intentional. That's been my prayer lately, is God, make me intentional. Make me interruptible and other-focused rather than self-focused. Probably the greatest encourager in the New Testament church was Paul. Paul actually said over and over and over again that it was our duty, our job as believers to lift one another up. Four times in 1 Thessalonians alone, he specifically tells us that we are to encourage each other frequently. He actually says like it's part of your job if you're a believer. Here's why. Man, the power of friendly fire. We're here in the church. This should be a place where we're always encouraging each other because we got to go and win the world. How can we win the world if we can't even get along in, in, in the church? And not just get along, but encourage one another. Over 30 times in the New Testament alone, they're saying, be there for each other. Encourage one another. Do life daily together. You want to know why? They were facing the persecution of the Roman government. They needed that. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a new series. I'm already excited for it. I'm already studying. It's called Nero and the Living Stones. And we're going to be going through the persecution that the Roman church faced and why unity was so important. But it's still true today. Listen, your, your, your job, your life, parenting children, being a man of God in today's day and age is not easy. Any of those things, it's not easy. We need encouragement. We need somebody who will lift our arms up when they grow weary.
probably the guy who is most known for his encouragement is Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas's name actually means the son of encouragement. And that's about all we'll go into today because I want to go to lunch at some point in time. But Barnabas, without Barnabas, a lot of the New Testament probably wouldn't have been possible because God used him simply as an encourager. Oh man, I want that to be my legacy. Now, now my old, my youngest daughter, Callie, loves Hot Wheels, like Hot Wheel cars. Actually, a lot of our students and CP students, they're, they like Hot Wheel cars too. I'm not sure why. Is Dale up there? Dale, I blame you, because Dale's obsessed with Hot Wheel cars. But how old are you, Dale? 17 years old. So if a 17-year-old is obsessed with Hot Wheels, though, that's a good thing. Just think about what you were obsessed with when you were 17. Andrew. No, 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 no. No, no I'm just kidding. I didn't know Andrew when he was 17. That was 50 years ago. <laughs> that's a good thing. But, but my daughter, I, I went up there because she got, like, the thing that, like, like it, it, I don't know, it has some kind of motor that, I'm not a car, a car guy, clearly. <laughs> we can talk about fashion all day, but like, I don't care, you can judge me, encourage me. But like, it's got some, uh, <laughs> it's got some uh, a motor that makes the car go fast and it goes in like a loop-de-loop, -loop, like a roller coaster, you know what I'm talking about. I should have not even gone that down that road. And so I was there, and my daughter's like flinging them across the room, and it's pretty awesome. And like she had a stack of all of these other ones, and then this thing would land on it. And I start looking at the cars, and she has certain ones that are for fun like this, and then some that stay in the case. And so I was asking her, like, are these the ones that you like more? Yes, they are. Why don't you put them out here? And she said, well, they keep getting paint on each other. I'll lean into this. There's a deep theological truth in this. So when one of the cars has an interaction with the other one, and by interaction I mean the car violently striking it, <laughs> a little bit of paint from one gets on the other car, and a little bit of paint from that gets on the main car. But they had an interaction, and they both leave with a piece of the other. Now, that's what happens with you and I. When we have interactions with people, it's how I started at the beginning. It's good, bad, or neutral. No interaction at all, or really no emphasis, nothing that sticks out. Let us be a group of people that when somebody walks up and they say, look at all this paint on me, isn't it beautiful? Because that's the interaction you gave them with encouragement, rather than look at all of these scars from wounds that your mouth created. You see, every one of us have the power of life and death in our tongue. Let us be a group of people that makes people more beautiful from their interactions rather than more wounded. So here's the challenge. You're going to do one of two things as you leave this place today. You're going to be an encourager or nothing. 
don't think you'll be a discourager after this because you're like, oh, a preacher made me feel guilty. Some of you have some apologies to give out to people. Some of you need to be more intentional. I need to be more intentional. So here's what I do. I've, I've actually shared this before in here. Is Monday morning during my, my quiet time, I write down on a piece of paper five people that I'm going to pray for this week, and then I let them know. Sometimes, sometimes I don't let them know. It depends on how the Spirit leads me, but... But I want them to know that this week there's five particular insanely specific people that I will be encouraging all week. Because if you don't, you're going to forget. Why? Because you're human and you're busy and you have kids that are parasites. They just take everything from you. So my challenge to you is who are you going to encourage every week? And let's be someone that when you walk in the room, people are glad you're there. And they leave feeling more confident in who they are as a son or daughter of the Most High King. So that's the last part. Be intentional about your compliments. Don't just go out and be like, hey, I think you're cool, bro. No, no. This, Jacob, you came in here a year ago and you were just a quiet kid just sitting around and I, before my very eyes see you growing into this man of God. And I mean it. How's that feel? So Abby's not only getting you for looks. <laughs> be specific about your encouragement. And just like Hezekiah, your encouragement needs to be who they are in the Lord. Not their beauty, not their talents. What God says about them. Who are you going to encourage this week? And are you going to use your mouth to make people more beautiful? Or to give them scars and wounds?